0: In today's show, Through the Eyes of Ben-Hur, we explore the gripping times of the Roman Empire during the days of Jesus of Nazareth. Aloha! From the sandy beaches of Hawaii
1: comes a wave of God's love and the challenge to go deeper. Paddle out with us and experience the thrills of the radical plan God has for your life.
0: It's Deep Adventure Radio with your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Aloha, and welcome to Deep Adventure Radio. You know our creed at Deep Adventure Ministries is that the most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. And lately, I've been finding when I you know say grace at a restaurant or pray with other people, I find myself, Lord, I find myself saying, Lord, may these people's wildest dreams come true. And I just feel that that's. True. God has promised that he would put in our hearts new and right desires. And, you know, I was contemplating just how sometimes when we're, um, you know, when I'm surfing a big wave or I'm seeing a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, how I totally forget myself jumping out of an airplane. You totally forget yourself. You're just alive to the experience. Um, people say that you're, you're uh, kind of in that moment of stillness when you're just totally thinking of the present moment, living in the now. But there's something more than just that. There's this experience of forgetting yourself and only being alive to what you're experiencing, what you're seeing. And I think that's what heaven is going to be like. We're going to see the beatific vision, those of us who have abandoned ourselves to God's will. As C.S. Lewis said, there's two types of people in the world. When we see Jesus face to face, there'll be those who say to Jesus, Thy will be done, who have said to Jesus through their lives, Thy will be done. And they'll be invited into the presence of God. We'll be able to see God as He really is. We'll see the beatific vision, for only the pure of heart see God as He really is. And then there are those who will say who Jesus will say, uh thy will be done. In other words, they've wanted their own will their whole lives and they will throw themselves into hell. Peter Kraft says that hell uh, may be very well described as a place where we turn in on ourselves, where someone just totally is self-possessed, totally just uh, turning in on themselves. Whereas in heaven, it's a place of forgetfulness where we just we just see God and we see all the glories around him, all the wonders around him. And it's almost like we forget ourselves. We're just taking in so much of the glory and beauty of God. And that's what awaits Christians is the glory and beauty of God. But we know that uh, to get to heaven, we do that only by God's grace. But we need to participate in that grace. And so, you know, I wrote a book called, uh, my newest book, Deep Adventure, The Way of Heroic Virtue. I gave it that title because uh, to be a saint, we need to live in heroic virtue. And did you know that all of us are called to be saints? And so someone prompted me and said, why don't you introduce the book uh, to people by maybe just reading a couple pages from it during the opening monologue. And I'm going to do that just to give you a taste for this because I believe this book can be so helpful in helping us get traction towards deeper intimacy with God and give us attraction towards a life of eternity with God. And it can be so useful because it only has, because the chapters are so short in small group settings, in men's and women's groups for that matter. So I'm going to read you just a little bit from chapter. Chapter 1, The Call to Heroic Virtue from my book, Deep Adventure, The Way of Heroic Virtue. My son Shane and I were standing in front of my home on the sands of Waikiki when suddenly he sprinted toward the rocky jetty that points out like a fist out to the sea. He ran waist-deep into the waves, racing for a young woman whose surfboard was rocketing towards the jagged rocks. She screamed, and Shane leaped forward. He scooped her up in his powerful arms and rolled, letting his momentum carry them both off the other side of the board. He enveloped her protectively and put his body between hers and the treacherous rocks as the waves hurtled them against the sharp face of the boulders. When the wave flooded back out to sea, it sent her surfboard, still attached to her ankle by the leg leash, careening toward them with the ferocity of an angry shark. Shane held her close to his chest with one arm and unhooked her big, her leg leash with the other. When he made a run for it, the riptide slammed the board against his shins, gashing them. He pushed past it and brought her safely to higher ground. He set her down by the lifeguard tower, and she began inspecting her body for broken bones or lacerations before realizing that he had protected her from the worst of it. They were both bloody, but it was mostly Shane's blood staining their skin. She had only one small cut. Even as the lifeguards carried her away, the girl never took her eyes off Shane. Her gaze shone with gratitude. Shane walked that day in the way of heroic virtue. Our culture has a very confused sense of heroism, often applauding the biggest, strongest, loudest, or wealthiest. Blockbuster movies and an endless parade of celebrity sports figures dominate the mainstream representation of heroes. But true heroism, the kind that saves lives, preserves dignity, and protects the most vulnerable, is a determined, steadfast power under control and directed toward the good with the clarity of purpose that comes with humility. A hero isn't someone born with unconquerable strength and selflessness. Heroes are not formed in a cataclysmic instant. Heroism is developed over time, one decision after another, moment by moment, formed by a deliberate, chosen, and habitual response to life. A hero is "'Cultivated by countless, often unnoticed actions. "'Heroes are not made by a spider's bite like the Spider-Man. "'They are ordinary humans, you and me, "'who direct their decisions and actions "'to be strengthened by goodness, compassion, "'integrity, and righteousness. "'They are the ones who are willing to venture out "'of the safe harbor of what is comfortable "'and venture into the wild, untamable sea of God's calling.' In other words, the hero's journey is one of deep virtue. So this is just an excerpt from my new book, Deep Adventure, The Way of Heroic Virtue. And I want to invite you... To go to our website, deepadventure.com, and order a book for you, order a book for your friends. And I would uh, strongly suggest that you order um, you know 10 or 20 of them to be used in your small group settings. They're, it's a great read. It's a great uh, uh, read into the seven virtues and a way for uh, a great discussion starter. Hey, we're going to be right back. We're going to look at uh, the life of Ben-Hur, the life and times of Ben-Hur. Get a closer look at who Jesus of Nazareth is with my special guest, Mike Aquilina. This is Deacon Howard. And you're listening to Deep Adventure Radio with the one and only fair watch.
2: It's very easy because EWTN does all the hard work. You just let others know tune in and they can see for themselves what a beautiful gift our church is in mark 16 verse 15 jesus commanded us to go into the whole world and proclaim the good news to all creation those words are the heart of the call of the ewtn media missionaries volunteers who help create awareness of ewtn in parishes and communities across the united states through
3: ewtn i've grown in my faith I can point others to certain programs that provide them with the resources they need
2: to understand their faith.
3: If you consider what Jesus did for us on the cross, it's a small way to give back to Him.
2: With as little as 10 minutes a month, you can help spread the word. Call today, 1-205-795-5771 or log on to our website, ewtnmissionaries.com. And find out how easy it is to be an EWTN Media Missionary.
3: What do all these have in common? A former agnostic, a fallen away Catholic, and a once upon a time Protestant. Find out next time on The Journey Home. Marcus Grodi invites pilgrims from all walks of life to share how they made it home to the Catholic Church. The Journey Home, only on EWTN.
1: Deep Adventure Radio going deeper into the heart of God.
0: Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. And I was sitting uh, on my lanai last night looking at the waves. The moon was coming up over the water. My son was there with his girlfriend, and we were having some gin and tonics. And I had this book sitting on my lanai, uh, The World of Ben-Hur, by my guest, Mike Aquilina. And then I looked over and I reached over. I have the, my, morning, my my books that I use uh you know, for my prayer life, you know, I have the Catholic Catechism that I meditate on every day, and then of course my Imitation of Christ and my Liturgy of the Hours, and my book called A Year with the Church Fathers by Mike Aquilina, and I would just tell him, you know, I'm I I'm the luckiest person in the world. I have a radio show. And if I call Mike, if I call Mike Aquilina, I mean, if I, I find someone I really would really, really like to just to get to visit with, I am invite. I invite them on my show, and then I get to just talk with them. So I get to talk with Mike Aquilina. We get to uh, have a, a conversation with Mike today. Mike, thank you so much for being on our show.
3: Well, thanks for having me back, Bear. That's always a good time.
0: I remember uh, when we first met, we were speaking in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. At a men's conference. Yeah, and it was like, I felt like a knucklehead, because I think they, they had it as the theologian, the uh exorcist and the surfer so somehow, <laughs> yeah i felt a little bit like i was a minor league ball player and then you made me no you were the one everyone was listening to <laughs> but you but you but you made me well think i don't know that's true but you made me feel so good cuz when we were in the green room you said do you get nervous before you speak like this and i go yeah and it was kind of like you were just kind of i don't you must have sensed that i was a little bit uh i get kind of fired up or wired up or something beforehand. But I was just back there last week. My son graduated from Grantham University, the uh, uh, military... uh school and he was wow. he got his master's degree and he was the keynote speaker he he was the he was their their main graduate he got his master's degree and so I was like, oh my gosh, he gives a better talk than I do and he was <laughs>
3: first talk ever well congratulations on that there that's wonderful
0: well you know one of the reasons you know I, and you know what I got to hang out with father Mitch Paqua you know you, you've been to his house you've seen his library you know right and yeah. I, that was all I, I wanted to see the, the the heads on the wall you know of his animals he's killed <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to see his library, so I'm walking around and he's showing me his library. And I asked him, "How how do you know so much?" And he goes, "I I, I um, by a repetition." And I know that that's what I I do too. Is I, like if I want to read about a church history. I'll read one of your books. I'll, I'll listen to uh, Eusebius. I think that's how you say his name. Or I'll, I'll, I've listened to all of Josephus. I, I, I'm reading. I'm listening to a book now. Um, I forget his name. Edmund, you know who he is. He's he's uh, wrote the book on the fall of the decline of the Roman Empire. Um, oh, Gibbon. Mm-hmm. Is that how? Yeah, you know so much. See, I haven't had enough repetition yet. But uh, and so when I was at the Chicago uh, Catholic Marketing Network two weeks ago, and I saw your new book, I grabbed it. And on on the world of Ben-Hur. And so, uh, because no, why do we, why do, you know, we're Americans. We know that Richard Lee's buried in Grant's tomb that Ben Franklin crossed the Delaware and George Washington wrote the independence. What else do we need to know? Why do we need to study, you know, Roman history?
3: well well we're we're americans yes and and we're 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 also roman catholics and we're christians and the interesting thing about christianity is that it's not a mythological religion it's not the kind of religion where you know everything happened long ago in a galaxy far far away or once upon a time no christianity uh you know, the key events of Christianity took place in history, you know, at a particular time in a particular place. If you want to find the time, you can spot it on a, on a timeline. If you want to find the place, where well, you can open up the atlas and look at it. You can even get on a plane and visit that place today. So history is very important to us. We believe that the Word became flesh at a particular moment. And that moment changed every other moment in history, and it gives meaning to every other moment in history. So if we want to find meaning to our moments, if we want to find meaning to our lives, we'd better be deep in history. You know? And uh, Cardinal Newman said to be deep in history is to cease to be a Protestant. So I believe that the deeper you go in history, the closer you you grow to Jesus Christ. And uh, and the more Catholic you become because you realize how consistent our faith is down through the ages. And uh, and so you know we connect with those earliest times and we look at those those figures from from the ancient history of the church and we um we see that their lives weren't all that different from our own. Their parishes weren't all That different from the ones we live in, and we feel at home in the ancient church, the medieval church, the church at the time of the Reformation, the church at the time of the Enlightenment. It's all ours,
0: you know. And you said you made the point: uh, history and and you know some people call it his story. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, right? You know, so so the history, the the time, and the place when when you understand, Mike. How many times have you been to the Holy Lands? twice and and how about into into the other areas where did you have you ever been where Paul and uh, you know did his journeys and into Italy and all of that
4: how, yeah yeah
3: you know in, in Greece and to, you know the lands that are now Greece and Turkey and uh, and, and and in Italy as well
0: and it makes it come to life uh, you it know, does
3: it does you know walking in the ruins and all of that and and trying to exercise your imagination what it does be- <laughs> Is it gives us an imaginative entry into that world. You know, we look at these ruins and they excite our imagination. We try to picture what it would be like to walk through these ruins with Saint Augustine or with Saint Paul or 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 any of the great figures from Scripture, any of the great figures from history. Um, so, so yeah, it's exciting. And you know, uh, books can do the same thing to us if we can't if we can't get on a plane and go there for for whatever reason. Books can do the same thing for us. Movies can do the the same thing for us. They can give us in, an imaginative entry into the world of faith.
0: And, and you know, Lectio Divina you, utilizes that that capability. You know, of, of meditating. Uh, I, you know, on I forget who it was that said that, Cedric, that uh, Jose Escrima I think it was. That said, you know, meditate as you read the Gospels. Look at the Gospels from a different from a different character who's mentioned in the Gospels. Oh yes, viewpoint, yeah, you know? yes,
3: that was that was Saint Jose Maria. Yes, we just yes. L-
0: really let it come to life. But you know, the thing about the Roman Empire during this time, we're going to dig into this is have you heard i've heard this i've read the statement proto proto-Christians, or proto christians mm-hmm. or uh, that that the roman empire was almost like you couldn't have had a more perfect stage set for the spreading of a new religion except for the fact that the romans loved uh, the romans would are, were accepting of most uh, historical religions but they didn't really like to see the new ones coming up they thought of those as as possibly stirring up trouble but uh, to set lay the table for us in the time of ben hur uh, Lay, lay the table for us. What was the setting? How do you see God's hand? God using uh, the setting of the Roman Empire to uh, to spread the gospel.
3: Well, you see so much happening. You know, for one thing, there was something akin to world peace for the first time, because because Rome was the empire that had conquered much of the known world, and they had kind of restored a certain order uh, to that world, uh, mostly through military force, military might, and, and, and kind of brutal military might. But many people were grateful that there was finally a suppression of piracy, for example, on the high seas, because the pirates, uh, you know, had their their own ships, you know, it was like their own Navy, and they were out there, um, uh, they were out there, uh impeding free trade, impeding free movement from one country to another. Well, you know, this is, uh, Caesar Augustus comes along and he suppresses piracy, he starts to build roads, so suddenly there are open seaways and there are open land paths so that you could get from one one end of the earth to the other uh, in, in fairly decent time. And there's much more trade now, there's much more prosperity because there are goods and services moving from one place to another, so you have you have um, you have a lot of interaction uh, among the peoples uh, of, of the world. Uh, Palestine you know where the holy land where uh where the events of the new testament took place you know was still a backwater it was not an important location on the map for for rome uh it was it was strategic yes because you know they they were concerned about uh about enemies on the on the other side there um but you know it was um it was, it, 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 it was still kind of off the radar, so to speak. You know, they, they, um, they weren't that concerned about what would go on there, uh, you know, at the beginning of the first century. Uh, so, so, so you have all of this going on. You have, you have uh, easy movement from one place to another, and of course, and our Lord comes along, uh, and the great events of salvation take place. Well, then the apostles can move pretty freely, you know they can move over land over sea, and they could get to the ends of the earth to fulfill the lord 's command so you see that um that 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 God really set this up rather precisely you know set up um, all of these world events so that um, so that the gospel could reach to the ends of the earth it 's a pretty interesting thing when you look at it that way uh, that um, that that even God even works through the events um, in in these these empires that don 't really recognize him because remember the Romans were not exactly welcoming of the Christ they collaborated in his crucifixion they made it possible and they persecuted uh, the apostles they, and they persecuted all the generations after the apostles until the beginning of the fourth century so so you have um you have you have uh, God working through the Romans, in spite of the Romans. The Romans aren't exactly cooperating with God, but uh, but He's working through them anyway.
0: I love the way you said that. And then you know, in that in that time, you see in the Gospels, you see the centurion, who uh, you, you see people referred to as Godfearers. These mm-hmm, were pe- right. these were people that were uh, they weren't Jewish, and they weren't uh, you know practicing in the temple. Mm-hmm. But they had, a, but they had a, they had a love for uh, the the Hebrew God, and yes. so many of the Jews had become Hellenized because the eastern part of the Roman Empire they were speaking Greek, and so they had this understanding of Greek philosophy. Of course, I think most of the educated, even in in the Latin er- speaking area, did. But you had these God-fearers who had left behind, in a sense, the temple. They weren't involved in temple worship, so the religious elements uh, didn't necessarily have to be there for them. Uh, and they were, and because of the this the diaspora the the jews being you know going throughout the world there was synagogues in place all over and there were Godfarers who weren't necessarily jewish already open to the hebrew god so talk a little bit about about that those footsteps
3: well, around the year one hundred and fifty, there's, uh, there's this philosopher. His name is uh, Justin Martyr. We, you know, we know him as Saint Justin Martyr, um, and he uh, he he said that that through the history of thought, God planted seeds of the word, word seeds of the logos, um, the uh, seeds of Jesus Christ. Really, uh, these these ideas that were there in the philosophers that were there to lead people uh, toward Jesus Christ, prepare the way for him, and so we see that there's a movement in the history of philosophy toward monotheism, for example, the belief in one God, the belief in a prime mover, the belief, uh, you know, all of these different beliefs that would be revealed in Christianity. So, um, so, so we see that, 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 that God is inclining people, you know, drawing people in His, in his direction and this is happening with some regularity. Now some of these some of these people as you point out they they come into contact with the synagogue. They come into contact with Jews in the diaspora and they say, "Wow, this is what I've been looking for." These people get it. And not only that, but they live a life that's pure. They live a life that's moral. They live a life that has integrity, and it seems to make them happy. And they say, I want to live a life like that. So they start to take on certain Jewish practices. They start to observe uh, Jewish morality, and, uh, and they start to attend certain events at the synagogue. So, um, so, so this is happening all through the empire in the synagogues of the diaspora, and um, and it's uh, it, it's something of a movement at the time uh, that our, our Lord appears. We see in the Acts of the Apostles uh, that wherever Paul goes, he'll speak in the synagogues, and there he'll meet not only Jews but also God fearers. These people who fear the God of Israel, who who worship the God of Israel, and yet they're not Jews; they're Gentiles. They don't undergo ritual circumcision or any of, or or, or maybe maybe they don't observe the dietary law. I'm sure there there were all different grades of observance um, within the God-fearers.
0: And so you see these, as, as they're referred to as the proto-Christians, they're like, they're ready. This, yeah. Especially this group, uh, uh, the, the Jews that were in the synagogues, that maybe in the distant synagogues were maybe not, not, not going to make it to the temple. And you see these uh, Gentiles that are god And then there's this wimpy guy, you know, Paul, I don't even know, you know, he, he couldn't have been in shape hiking up all those mountains and over all that <laughs> treacherous terrain, you know. These these guys were gnarly guys, you know, they were tough guys. You know, you think about their feet, we're probably calloused and filthy at the end of every day. Him and Timothy are making these long uh, treks, you know, into the remote areas, and they're finding God. They're finding Godfearers there, and and uh, and we we see uh, the church, you know, coming forth one step at a time. So understanding history gives us a, a clearer sense too of just the experience of reading Scripture. Just comes to life when you know uh, we're Ephesus. Where is Ephesus? for Ephesus. example.
3: Ephesus is now in Turkey. Uh uh you know it, it, uh, today it is. Yeah, and uh and you can you can still visit there. The city, the interesting thing about Ephesus is the city is still intact. You know, they've excavated it and you can go to the amphitheater, you know, and know that Paul was there. You can visit a lot of the sites that Paul visited.
0: And you know Antioch, you know Jerusalem was an outpost, Antioch was almost like New York City, you know, it was one of the major, uh, thriving communities, and and to know that when you read scripture, you know, just uh, just brings it to life. And the people, the people in that area, what you you met, you mentioned in your book, what, what was it was written on the cross? There was three languages used uh, that Pilate uh, had inscribed on the cross.
3: Yeah, often we see this on a crucifix, the the letters I-N-R-I, and that these stand for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, as it appears in Latin, because uh, Latins use the same alphabet as we did, Um, the Greeks and and Hebrews did not. So yes, uh, Jesus of Nazareth,
0: King of the Jews. But it was written in three languages
3: that 's right, because they could count on uh, speakers of all three languages to be walking by, and so and even the Jews at that time uh, spoke many languages because they had to trade with people from all over the world again all of this um this uh you know, interplay between cultures, uh, between, between nations, between peoples took place because first Alexander the great came through and, and, uh, and, and conquered land. And, and, but, but,
0: but Mike, if Alexander the great was here right now, I'd still have to take a break. (laughs) <laughs> so, so,
3: Your wish is my command Okay,
0: so we'll be right back This is Bear Wozniak We're talking with just one of my favorite guests, Mike Aquilina About his new book, The World of Ben-Hur uh, We'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio
1: International Deep Adventure Radio
0: Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak Aloha, this is Bear Wozniak coming to you from Waikiki Beach with another Deep Virtue segment Uh, you can go to our website deepadventure.com and you can find out when we're doing our tandem surfing exhibitions or where we might be speaking also all of our archived radio shows and Deep Adventure segments and books and things like that are available there for you so be sure and go to our website and check that out now, here in Hawaii, we have beautiful mountains. Like Looking at my house right now, I'm looking towards the Ko'olau Range. It's a range uh, used to, of course, it was a volcano. And it is a real difficult thing to hike to the top of that mountain. Uh, as you start to hike, eventually you're using ropes, and it's kind of slippery and usually kind of get muddy. But when you get to the top of that range, the view looking towards the east is just you know, phenomenal. It's just beautiful. And then you turn around and look out towards uh, Diamond Head, and it's just so beautiful. When my sons were young, I used to take them up to the mountains. A lot of times we did it at night because, uh, you know, I was training them in the in the ninja art. I was a ninja black belt, and they were being trained to become uh, ninja, ninjas too. And we'd go up the mountains a lot of times at night, and we'd get up to the top of Boney Ridge. This was in Southern California by Thousand Oaks. And we would look down, and we see these just amazing views. We'd love to go up there, especially on the night before the full moon because the sun would be setting as the moon was rising. And we would see these majestic views. But it took a little bit of effort. It takes work. It took, you know, a good hour or more to get to the top of both these hikes I've described. But when you get there, you're pretty much alone. No one else is taking their time. You look down below, everyone else is in their houses. But you're up above and experiencing something beautiful. This is the same thing with the call to prayer. Set yourself aside. Set time aside. Go away to a remote place. Get away. I go down to the beach every night. But spend time. You won't get the views and the perspectives of the beauty of life unless you spend time alone with the mountain of the Lord. So this is Bear Wozniak with another Deep Virtue segment. Aloha.
1: Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Find out more at deepadventure.com. All across the nation, people are tuning in to truth on the EWTN radio network. Even though I am a Southern
3: Baptist, I love my local Catholic radio station, and I recommend it to all my friends, Catholic and non-Catholic. Since I joined the
1: church a decade ago, access to Catholic radio has been a must for me and my family. To have EWTN broadcasting locally with such faith-filled and wholesome programs is a real blessing. To find out more, go to EWTN.com
2: slash radio. To help you get more from the Global Catholic Network, EWTN offers a monthly program guide completely free of charge. This handy schedule tells you where to look for your favorite Catholic programs. For your free guide, write to EWTN Program Guide, Irondale, Alabama, 35210. Wax up your boards. Let's paddle in for another
1: wave of deep adventure radio.
0: Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. We have as our guest just someone I, I I mean, I just love every opportunity I have to discuss with, to talk with him because first of all, he loves Jesus. And when you, when you just scratch the surface a little bit on one of the topics that he likes, he just lights up. And uh, and he's a he's a student of the early church fathers, which it's really Justin Martyr, uh, who you mentioned earlier, Mike. This is Mike Aquilina, by the way, the author of the World of Ben Hur. Justin Martyr is the one that that flipped the switch for me. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I was reading. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I was reading Crossing the Tiber, of course, by Stephen Ray, mm-hmm. and then I and then I ordered I don't know the, the twelve volume set of the. Uh, early church fathers and I got to Justin Martyr and when he was explaining to the emperor uh, you know why Christians weren't uh, um, cannibals uh, but, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, a great, I mean, just the fact that he had to explain that.
3: Oh, the rumors were rampant, yeah, and, you know, that, that went around at this time. And, and, and Christians were vilified. They spread crazy rumors. There was a propaganda campaign against us, and, and, and it fueled the the persecution, the kind of passion that was necessary to uh, to do these these mass murders, really, of Christians.
0: But, you know, the thing is, if, the very fact that he had to defend that it isn't cannibalism tells mm-hmm. you that they, you know, the word was out that they were eating the body and blood of someone, you know, it wasn't taken, right. wasn't taken as a symbol. And then when he described, I guess, I think you would call it the epiclesis. Mm-hmm. When he related those words, I go, wait a minute, that's what I hear in Mass, almost word for word what I heard in Mass when I was younger. And I came roaring back to the Catholic faith. So, yeah, Justin Martyr, well-named, too. He he wore the philosopher's robe. Mm -hmm. And just talk a moment about his conversion, then we'll get back to Ben. (laughs) Well, he was
3: a pagan who grew up in Palestine. He was a pagan, uh, and he, uh, he, he was drawn to philosophy as a young man. And so he started to study under all the major schools of philosophy you know the school of Plato Aristotle Pythagoras and uh, he went from teacher to teacher and none of these teachers seemed to be able to satisfy him to answer his questions he was a, he was a restless soul but he kept going he kept studying and one day he was walking on the beach and he encountered an old man and this old man told him about the prophets of the Jews and what the prophets had foretold and then he, he told Justin that um, that uh, that the what the what the the prophets predicted had had come to fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ, and he told him about Jesus, and and Justin became a Christian. The other thing that that convinced Justin that Christianity was true was that he saw people die for the faith. He witnessed that Christians were were um, were, were willing to go that last mile um, for Jesus Christ. That they were willing to die for this. So it wasn't like just another philosophy. It wasn't like a political movement. It wasn't like you know some kind of A club or anything like that, some kind of social club. No, this was life or death for these people. This was their very life, and uh, and they were they were willing to uh, to die rather than give it up. So he was so deeply moved that he became a philosopher. And as you said earlier, he continued to function. He became a Christian. I'm sorry, but as you said earlier, he continued to function as a philosopher. Continued to wear the the distinctive dress of a philosopher, and he, um, he traveled. You know, he went to Rome, the capital city, because he wanted to influence the most influential people. And so he set up a school there, and he was very successful, uh, you know, well-known enough so that he could write a letter to the Senate explaining Christianity, write a letter to the Emperor explaining Christianity. He wrote another, another explanation of the faith that was, um, that was addressed to Jews. But uh, eventually, he he kind of excited the the jealousy, the envy of um, of other philosophers, pagan philosophers, and they they had him brought to trial and then convicted as a Christian. And he was he himself uh, died as a martyr for the faith.
0: You, you know, one of the things, Mike, that that thrills me. <coughs> I love being a Catholic. Guess what? I'm a Roman Catholic. Yes. You know, there's something yeah. about that. And and the thing about it is I love it when I read the early church fathers, you know, these uneducated, they don't know what they're talking about. You read their books and you can hardly understand them. You have to, like, read them like it's like reading re- eating red meat, you know. <laughs> these guys are brilliant, brilliant. The type of thought you don't even hear much. There's maybe Peter Kraft or Mike Aquilina, you know. But, I mean, these are brilliant men. And it's so it, it's just it thrills me. Philosophy, the love of wisdom, the love of truth. Uh, and, 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 and Christianity wasn't based on sort of that pagan, uh, melodrama of the gods. It was logical. You know, that mm-hmm. truth is truth is truth. And, yeah. and, 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 and praise God for the Greek thought, uh, because it helped us so much when we began to deal with the issues of the three persons of the Trinity. And the nature of Jesus Christ and who Mary is as Theotokos, you know, it, it. We we are. It's faith and reason, and yes. that's why I feel like so often when you look at the uh, the Protestant movement, uh, it goes towards faith and it, and you believe it because God said it. Uh, Catholics. You know, we, we'll, we we believe that faith uh, uh, seeks understanding, and we look for truth. Look at Thomas Aquinas. I mean, when I found him, Mike, I just stopped in my tracks, and I just sat on the beach every night and just <laughs> read through the summa. And then Augustine, we have faith in reason, and the reason why I'm thrilled about that is because right now— with the neo-atheists, you know, yeah. you, you're you going to have to win them with— the, the neo-atheists, the young kids that find it cool to be an atheist, mm-hmm. when real life starts to happen to them, they're going to find out that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, and they're going to start looking for truth. And Catholics, if you're well-formed as a Catholic, you can bring them reason, bring them to the precipice of the leap of faith. But you, through reason, you can bring them right there, as close to the edge as Socrates was when he— when when he uh, drank the poison. know, the belief in monotheism. So, sorry, I got excited. Go ahead. (laughs) ahead. (laughs) No, absolutely. You know, what history tells us is that there's nothing new under the
3: sun. We've been here before, and the Church has persevered, it's endured, and not only endured, it's triumphed. You know, the Church has converted many people who were skeptical, who were, as you say, atheists, agnostics, and and entire cultures that were resistant to the faith to the point of persecuting it. And yet the Church, as I said— endured and triumphed so we can do it again because it's not it's not us uh, you know it's we're not the ones doing it god is doing it through us and and uh, and we just have to give our consent our cooperation and and lean into it lean hard, and God will give us the graces we need. Now, now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. He gave those ancients, like Justin, the grace of martyrdom in order to persuade others. But Justin himself was persuaded because he himself was an eyewitness to the martyrdom of others. So we just have to be open to the graces and ready for whatever adventure God might send our way.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to say something right now. If you're a man— and you're Catholic, and you're not reading the Catholic Catechism, you are, you are, um, you're, you're failing. The Catholic begin, you know, I, I meditate on two pages of the Catholic Catechism every day. You, know, right. you can sit and just read through the whole Catechism. That would be great to do. Yeah. But if you... You know what, you know what I yeah. love
3: about the Catechism? Yeah, That me. it's, It really is the faith of the ages. And if you go to the chapter on the Mass, you'll see that they didn't have to write a new article about the Mass. They used Justin Martyr's article that he wrote in 150 A.D. because the Mass he described as going on in Rome in 150 A.D. is the very same Mass we're using today. They didn't have to produce something new. What was produced in 150 A.D., what was done in the upper room on the night before Jesus suffered, that's good enough for us as
0: Roman Catholics. And in, in the Catechism, oh, I mean, it's so rich with uh, understanding moral teaching. Uh, how can you present uh, you, uh, someone was here yesterday and we're, and we, they were talking about penal substitution, you know, the Protestant teaching that Jesus was punished for our sins, and I was saying, nah, that's not quite it. You know, I know that my loving Father is not going to punish his son for something that I did, but rather it's recapitulation. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness And and lift up with solidarity with us, you know, the dignity of all of us back to uh, restoring us as we were in the garden. And that on the cross it was just his total display of ultimate love, nothing Mm. to do with punishment. But you know, it takes more than uh, an elevator ride to say, you know, Jesus loved you and died for your sins. You know you. Catholics, you know you 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 have to go deeper. You have to lay that. You need to spend a couple years just laying foundation. If you just if you read the Catechism and you and you and you looked up the references, you know, like Augustine and Saint Thomas and Justin Martyr, you could. I mean, you can't do much better, you guys, than spending time reading the Catechism every day. It's not a boring document, is it? It's it's it's, it thrills you. Yeah. So, spent, so But if you don't have time uh, to do that every day, then you might want to read Mike Aquilina's new book, The World of Ben-Hur. So that film's coming out. Have you got to see, see a preview of it yet?
3: You know, only the, uh, the trailers that are, that are there on the web. When I wrote the book, I was working from uh, an early version of the script. And so, um, so I, uh, I had something to go on. And, of course, I'd, everybody knows Ben-Hur. You know, I had I had read when I was a kid. I read a comic book version of it, and I had seen the Charlton Heston version of it. I can't, I can't tell you how many times. Okay, so, so when everyone we, knows the story of Ben Hur. Well, when we it's get back,
0: when we get back, we're going to dig in. We're going to dig into uh, uh, a little bit about the history of the man who yeah. wrote the original book, and, and uh, of Ben Hur itself. It's fascinating, and uh, and how it has a way helps us by seeing that film, reading uh, Michael Mike's book, The World of Ben Hur. How it gives us a, a clearer and brighter picture of of the message of the gospel i'm bear Woznick. i'm talking with mike aquilino we'll be right back with more of deep adventure radio
1: deep adventure radio the bold standard in radio I'm Brian Patrick and here at EWTN News Nightly we're very much aware our world is changing rapidly. The news can be so troubling but it helps to get it in the context of Catholic teaching. That's why I encourage you to watch EWTN News Nightly and to subscribe to the print edition of the National Catholic Register. Always faithful in-depth coverage of crucial issues like religious freedom, the sanctity of all human life, traditional marriage, and Pope Francis, his travels, his powerful homilies, and great features like one of my favorites on St. Joseph, Provider and Protector. Subscribe to the print edition of the National Catholic Register and watch EWTN News Nightly, the perfect combination for faithful Catholics who want the news, who want the truth.
0: For a
3: free three-issue trial of the National Catholic Register, Go to EWTN.com and click on the banner for the register or call 800-421-3230 for your three free issues.
2: EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road, stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page.
3: Are people challenging your faith? Do you wish you knew how to explain it better? Well, then tune in to hear Father Mitch Pacwa and his guests, setting the record straight on all matters, faith, and reason. Next time on EWTN Live, only on EWTN. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com.
1: Now back to Paradise and Deep Adventure Radio.
0: Okay, we have uh, returned now with my guest Mike Aquilina who's written the book The World of Ben-Hur. This is what so what Mike told me when we were off air is that he was actually cast for the role as Ben-Hur uh, in this next film and just before the the production began the shoot began he got a paper cut uh, while he was working on this book and so was unable to fulfill that so but hey tell us about this character this civil war general or colonel whatever he was who wrote ended up writing this book this this uh, twisted kind of unusual circuitous way that this book came about and why it's uh uh, the 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 story of ben-hur is so so valuable to us
3: uh, well, you know, Ben Hur was written by uh, General Lou Wallace, who was a, an important figure in the Civil War. You know, especially if you get into the history of the Battle of Shiloh. I won't go into that right now, but uh, but he he after after the war he he practiced law and he used to write novels on the side. Now, Lou Wallace was an unbeliever, right? And one time he uh, he was. Uh, he was on a train, and he was talking to uh, the world's most famous atheist at that time, uh, and, he, uh, and and they got to talking. And, and after their conversation, Lou Wallace decided that he was going to write a novel about the origins of Christianity. But it was going to be a novel that would debunk the origins of Christianity, and it would cause believers to lose their faith. So he set about researching this novel, and he himself really got serious about researching. He went to the big libraries, he talked to the great scholars, he corresponded with the people who knew a lot about the time period um, in which his novel would be set, you know, the first century, the time of Jesus. Um, So he was getting into it, and he was going deep in history, and as he went deep in history, he found himself being drawn into faith. So the novel he ended up writing was much different from the novel he set out to write. It ended up being called Ben-Hur, a tale of the Christ. So he was acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, as the one foretold by the prophets in the Old Testament. So that novel came out in 1880, and it was a blockbuster bestseller. It was the book everybody was talking about. Even the President of the United States was a big fan of the book. And uh, and so it became this this uh, explosive cultural phenomenon, the thing that everybody was talking about, all the newspapers were writing about. And, uh, and after that, it became a Broadway play, and in 1907 it became a silent movie, uh, and I, in 1925 it became an epic silent film.
0: But so I, I, I want to hear about this this when it became the play. How they did the chariot race?
3: <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, they they actually did. Um, uh, conduct a chariot race. You know they set it up with um, with uh, uh, what would you call it the uh, you know uh, kind of like the treadmill I have in my office here. You know they set it up that way so that they could they could conduct a chariot race. There were certain iconic moments in the book. Okay, certain iconic moments in the book. And if you've seen the nineteen fifties movie with Charlton Heston, you know what they are. There, there's a moment of the chariot race and the moment of the um, of all the slaves. You know those. Muscle-bound slaves rowing on the big galley ship, right with the guy with the two hammers setting the pace for them as they were they were rowing in battle and that kind of thing. So, so these are iconic moments in all of the different versions of Ben Hur. You know, tried to to reproduce these, tried to visualize them in some way. Every time Ben Hur comes back onto the cultural scene, there's. A, a, uh, a, a lively discussion of the of of the storyline and also a lively discussion of its premise that Jesus is the Christ. So it's a it's an exciting time for Christians, and I believe it's an opp- opportunity for evangelization. Remember, Ben Hur was the, was the blockbuster. It was the big novel until Gone Gone with the Wind came along many decades later. It was the novel that kind of defined its moment in history, and then. It came back as a movie and a movie again. And uh, and, and when I was a kid, it was uh, it was kind of the epic. You know, there were all those sword and sandal epic movies, and this was the most important one. Uh, we still show it, by the way. We've, we've been showing it when we take the, the kids down on the bus to the March for Life. That is the movie we show them because it always inspires them, even all these years later. So I think that this movie is going to provide for us a moment when we can have the conversation about... About Jesus, and it could be a very Catholic conversation about Jesus, because it's deep in history.
0: You know, uh, we have another author who wrote, is uh, it Dan Brown, who wrote uh, the book that, t- he <laughs> gave them their moment, you know, where he twisted history. Yes, so, yes.
3: Yeah, in, in, in my book, The World of Ben-Hur, I contrast these two figures, Lou Wallace and Dan Brown. <clears throat> because uh, you, you know uh, they did set out with um, uh, similar intentions. They wanted to upset what people thought they knew about about Christian origins. Now the difference is that Lou Wallace went to serious research libraries and talked with serious scholars. Dan Brown, on the other hand, seems to have based his entire book on one kind of space cadet, New Agey book uh, that 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 draws its theories out of thin air. So. Uh, one of them did serious research and ended up writing a, a tale of the Christ, and the other one wrote the Da Vinci Code, and, and you can make your own conclusions about that.
0: Well, you said earlier, history, knowledge of history is to become Roman Catholic. Uh,
3: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, That's a, uh, that's a paraphrase of Cardinal Newman. He said, to be deep in history is to cease to be a Protestant. And that was Newman's own story, (laughs) that as he studied the early church fathers, he realized that in order to hold the faith that they held, to, to know the faith of the martyrs and to live the faith of the martyrs, he needed to become a Roman Catholic. He said if Athanasius or Jerome or Cyril were suddenly to come alive today and find themselves on earth, what church would they go to? He said, "There's no doubt in his mind uh, they would we'll go to the Roman
0: Oh, uh, It's so beautiful. I have his book on Arianism, uh, part of my summer reading stack. <laughs> but it go. just keeps getting my reading stack gets bigger and bigger. It never gets smaller. It's, I, I, I sit out there at night and I just. <laughs> I, get, I, I have ADHD, you know what that is, where you have <laughs> yeah. your, your attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder. You probably know that from sitting next yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh my gosh, so I'm, I'll be reading one book, and I'll be reading two or three chapters, and I'll see sure. this other enticing book, and I'll go over there and read a couple chapters of that, but yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but but get, I'm re- recommending to people, get this book, The World of Been Heard by Mike Aquilina, and you have other, you know, wonderful books about church history, but the one book that I have, if you could see my book right now, Mike, the uh, a year with the Church Fathers, Patristic mm-hmm. Wisdom for Daily Living. Uh, if you could see it, it's all dog-eared. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's used. When you wrote this book, you wanted it to look like my book looks.
3: Well, that's wonderful. And you just made my day by telling me that.
0: Yeah, and I, I, every morning, I, I, I you know I read uh, from the wisdom of the early Church Fathers. We're talking with Mike Aquilina. His new book is called The World of Ben Hur. Uh, how can they uh, people find you, Mike?
3: Well. I have my website, which is FathersOfTheChurch.com, FathersOfTheChurch.com. They can, they can also find me uh, by just going to their local Catholic bookstore and asking for my books, uh, and, uh, and at all the usual places, too. If you go to the online booksellers, you'll probably find at least some of my books there. This most recent one, The World of Ben-Hur, is published by Sophia Institute Press.
0: Yeah, we so love those guys. Website, we love those guys. I heard they're, they're, teaming, they're teaming up with EWTN now, too. Too, so it's kind of cool. but uh, yeah. So we, we talked with, with, with Mike Aquilina. Mike, calm down now. Just calm down <laughs> and uh, get back to your regular, you know, try to ease up a little bit. You know, take a, take a couple deep breaths. Uh, this is Bear Wozniak with the Deep Adventure Radio. We'll be right back with more.
1: Serve some real and radical ways to live your faith.
4: This is Daniel the Boone Markham with this episode, Chivalry. One of my seven daughters recently commented with some surprise how pleased she was with her new suitor, because he gave her respect, gentleness, and manners. Even though this was only her second suitor, I was struck by the fact she hadn't evidently experienced chivalry from a young man before. His chivalry, well, it lifted her up. Yet chivalry is nearly a lost art. Read a summy card that said, quote, chivalry isn't dead, it just fell asleep on the couch with beer and the TV blaring, end of quote. Well, in some circles that is truer than we would like to admit. Years ago I was at a conference with some feminist friends who were a mite disappointed in me when I opened the door for them. My response, well, ladies, my mama learnt me to respect women in such ways, and my mama is still speaking to me from heaven, it's just the way it is. As a young lad, I clearly remember my mama saying as we were walking to the local hardware store, "Dan'l, always remember to walk a woman with you between her and the street. Yes, mamma. Songwriter Trevor Wesley repeated my mama experience in his song Chivalry is Dead, writing, But I'm not a kid no more, so I must open doors and make you feel like the lady you are. My mama raised me to be classy, not flashy. I'm happy to please you, though I can tell that's not what you're used to. Men being a gentleman is a choice. It's not a given. You work at it. and It's far more than taking out the trash or opening a door. Man up and treat women always with kindness and care, nurturing their womanhood with respect. They will respect you in return and make you feel like a real man. Nothing wrong with chivalry and everything good about respect. This is Daniel Laboon Markham at danieldeBooneMarkham.com on a journey a few miles this side of him.
0: Welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. We had a great dialogue with Mike Aquilina, one of my favorite people in the world, because he loves the early church fathers, and I do too. The early church fathers are what brought me back, roaring back to the Catholic Church. We want to invite you to go to our website, deepadventure.com. You can buy my newest book, Deep Adventure, The Way of Heroic Virtue there and you can subscribe to our newsletter which by the way what that means is you get uh, twice a week you get one of our you get a two minute deep virtue segment that you can share over social media and you get that weekend show in advance a whole day in advance so you can listen whenever you want to and you can share that with your friends and we are excited we are going to begin to shoot uh, our new reality TV show for EWTN long ride home in Houston Texas so be sure and come if you'd like to uh, the men's rally we're going to be hosting on October 22nd Uh, go to our website to find out more about that and go to our website and fill out the contact page and let us know if you have someone that you think would be great, uh, a great guest for our show. And please invite us to come out and speak to your groups. We've speak to women's men's groups, um, college and career, even youth groups. So please invite invite me to come out and uh, share with your group. We would love to do that. My favorite part of my ministry, uh, you know, I'm hidden behind this microphone all the time or behind a TV camera. I love it when I get to go out and actually meet the people who are, who are abandoning themselves to God's will. Until next week, may the breath of the Holy Spirit aloha you. Aloha. This is Deep Adventure Radio.
1: Hear archived shows, buy Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and sign up for our Wave of the Week email at deepadventure.com. For the latest news on Bear and Deep Adventure, visit us on Facebook and share Deep Adventure with your friends. The most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to
3: the wild adventure of God's will. Deep Adventure Radio.